started off talking about how couples are attracted to one another. In particular, we talked about this couple in the Song of Solomon, how they were attracted to the godliness in one another. Uh, The seasons that couples go through. In particular, we talked about the seasons of the dating relationship and how you guard your purity through that period of time. And then last week, we talked about the honeymoon and how you can have a great, intimate relationship with your spouse. I had one mom tell me uh, this week that that she came and she brought her daughters and they were saying, are we going to dirty church again? (laughs) And uh, I just want you all to know, uh, this is not dirty church. And, uh, And seriously, sex isn't dirty. Sex as God created it is a beautiful thing. And when we as Christians learn how to love one another according to God's plan, it's wonderful and fabulous. Can I get a good, healthy amen from everybody that knows that's true? And I'm I'm not picking on you girls. I just, I thought that was funny. I thought that was really funny. So today we're talking about conflict as we continue through uh, the Song of Solomon this week. And we're going to find that this couple that has had this beautiful, passionate, intimate love life they get in a big argument, and I don't know if you've ever noticed that as you have read through the Song of Solomon, if you have, but this is the truth about conflict. All couples fight. All couples fight. And, and, and the problem is, is that a lot of couples get into fights that are so bad that they begin to destroy their relationships. And eventually, couples that don't develop good conflict resolution skills, the marriages eventually dissolve. But healthy couples who learn how to fight with an eye towards good, healthy resolution, their marriages will last. And so this is a critical thing for us all to learn. Whether you're married or you're single, you hope to be married, or even if you have any relationships at all with your parents or your children, your boss, colleagues, whatever, we all need to know how to resolve conflict. So this is a good thing. All couples, though, fight. Here's a, um, here's a news flash for you. My wife and I fight. All right, isn't that shocking? <laughs> Week and a half ago, it was a Tuesday night, and uh, Chris got home from work. We knew that our small group was going to come. Chris had had to work late. She had worked, I think, about, uh, I think it had been about 11 days straight without a break. It had been a very long haul for her and a lot of things going on at the hospital that she was responsible for. She came home one afternoon exhausted. And because she's been working so much, I had been missing her, and that particular Tuesday had been a very full day for me. I'd been to a funeral that I wanted to talk to her about. Uh, Early in the morning, I'd gone out for a bike ride to get some exercise, and I, I was trying to get my heart rate elevated to burn some calories, and I'm just tearing down College Street down by the university, just riding as fast as I could. The, the entire pedal assembly on my bicycle just fell off in the middle of College Street. Cars are whizzing by. I'm trying to find all the parts and pieces, you know. And, and so I'd had all these experiences all day long. Chris and I hadn't had a chance to talk on the phone. I couldn't wait for her to get home so I could tell her all my stories. She came in flopped down on the couch. She said, Russ, I'm so tired. I've just wiped out. And I just start launching into my day, you know, and and sharing with her and telling her all these important things that I wanted her to know. And pretty soon she just drifts off and the eyelids close. And and I just got a little mad about that, you know, that 
she didn't care any more about me than, than to just fall asleep while I'm telling her a story. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to get up. I'll make some dinner because our small group was coming very soon. And, and so I started making dinner. She changed clothes and she came out. I got something. And we sat down at our breakfast bar and, and, uh, and we began to eat. And I said, Chris, I got to tell you this one story. I got to tell you what happened to my bike today. And I start launching into my story again. She's just a second, honey, I need to go to the bathroom. And so she, she gets up and she runs to the bathroom. And then I was just really ticked. And, uh, and I said something that I'm not going to tell you what I said. Because it, it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice. And it was one of those moments where something just flies out of your mouth before you think about it. You know what I'm saying? And she interpreted it to mean something I really, truly did not mean it to, to mean. But then the fight was on. It was on. And wouldn't you know that about five minutes after we just started mixing it up, the doorbell rings and our first small group members are there. <laughs> so then we're like, hi, how are you guys? <laughs> so we start the small group and every time we'd walk by each other, we're like, hmm, you know. <laughs> And wouldn't you know, nobody would leave that night. They stayed forever. <laughs> and we just need to make up. And finally, late that night, when, when everybody finally went home, we sat down and I said, sweetheart, I'm so sorry for that unkind thing I said. And, and she told me how it hurt her and why it hurt her, and I apologized. We made up, and I learned something not to say to my wife. And, uh, and we resolved the conflict. Healthy couples learn to resolve conflict that leads to healing. Couples that are in a dangerous place, when conflict comes, they'll start to destruct and destroy one another. It's essential that we learn, whether you're single or you're married, it's essential that we learn how to resolve conflict very well. Chris and I do quite a lot of pre-marriage counseling, and one of the books that we use uh, in this pre-marriage counseling uh, process talks about conflict in one of the chapters, and it says that every person has kind of a conflict style, and they, they compare it to animals. And so I just want to ask you this morning, if you're taking notes on your smartphone, you can participate in our poll, and if you're not, just kind of make a mental note. Which one of these animals are you most like? The first, the first one is turtle. Some people are kind of like turtles, and when they get into a fight, they just withdraw. They just They just retreat into their shell. How many turtles we got here this morning? All right, you're probably too afraid to put your hand up if you're a turtle. Some people, <laughs> you are not a turtle, Vicky. I know that for sure. Uh, <laughs> let me just speak on your behalf, Vicky. Vicky is, number two, a skunk. And uh, <laughs> is that true? Yeah, and, and if you're in a danger zone, it's just attack right away, and you're going to spray whoever's in your way. Uh, any other skunks in the room? Skunks are proud of being a skunk, yeah. Uh, some people are more like a chameleon, and, and what that means if you're like a chameleon is that you just kind of blend into everybody around you, and you just kind of go with the flow. And, and some people, when they're, when they're in conflict, they just decide to become like everybody around them. Uh, the fourth one is a beaver. Beavers are people who just avoid conflict at all costs. Any beavers? All right, a couple of you. Uh, and then there's people, this is probably me, and it drives my wife crazy. 
I would probably be more of an owl, okay? And the owl people are the intellectualizers. We just decide to make it into a big debate and pick apart the meaning of words and the definitions of words. Owls, anyone? Yep, okay. And then the last one, and the last one, and this one actually might be Vicky, I'm not sure, but uh, the last one is a grizzly, all right? I'm sorry, a gorilla. No, you're not a gorilla. Really, really, Vicky, you're not. We'll stay with skunk. <laughs> a gorilla is the person that's just going to win at all costs. You're going to win at all costs. And uh, <laughs> it's Tara. Oh, dad's, dad's tattling on her. Gorilla people are those people that they're just up for a fight and they're going to trounce everybody around. And these are just things that are innately bred into us. And the challenge is, we need to learn whatever our instinct is in conflict resolution, we've got to learn to resolve conflict well without just brushing it under the carpet, like, like the beavers and the turtles and the chameleons, and without destroying the other person like the skunks and the gorillas. All right? And that's the challenge. As we, as we look at the couple in the Song of Solomon today, we're going to we're going to see some things that we can learn, and God's Word is going to shed some light on good conflict resolution. All right? So, are you ready to dive in? Let me share two scriptures with you before we get to Song of Solomon. If you've, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Song of Solomon chapter 5. That's where we're going to start today. But let me, let me just share two, uh, two scriptures that will kind of give us a preface here today. The first one is for all you men. You're going to love this scripture. You're going to say a hearty amen when I'm done with it. It's found in Proverbs 27, 15. And it says this. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. All right? Any men want to say amen to that? Okay. You're all afraid, aren't you? All right, I've, I've got one for you women, okay? Here's, here's one for you women. It's in 2 Russell 4.2. It says this. It says this. It's better to have severe hemorrhoids than to live with a husband who's a jerk. And, and for those of you that are desperately thumbing through your Bible trying to find the book of 2 Russell... It's not in your Bible. I made that up. Okay, so you just need to know that. The point is, whether we're male or female, if we're jerks, if we're quarrelsome, it makes life rough for the people that live around us. And so there's things we need to learn. All right, if you're in in Song of Solomon, you can follow along with me. And and I've put this stuff up on the screen as well this morning. We're going to pick up with the wife. All right, this morning in the story that we've been walking through, we're going to pick up... Uh, with, with something that she said in this experience she had. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, starting at verse 2. She says this, I slept, but my heart was awake when I heard my lover knocking and calling. Now that first line is very, very critical. She's gone to bed. She's gone to bed alone, but she's not really able to sleep soundly. There seems to be trouble here. And she says she hears her husband knocking and calling. And here's what he says. Open to me, now listen to what he says to her. Open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. He's buttering her up because he wants something, all right? 
And he says, my head is drenched with dew and my hair with the dampness of the night. And then she says this, verse 3, I responded, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? And what's happening here, uh, I'll paint the picture for you a little bit. Evidently, she was expecting him to be home and he's home late. And I don't know why he was home late. Maybe he got detained at work or maybe a softball game went into extra innings, whatever. But he's home later than she expected and she went to bed without, without him. And now he's home and he's wanting a little nooky-nooky. And, uh, and she's not interested, all right? Verse 3, if I were going to give you the literal translation, would be, not now, honey, I have a headache, okay? And that's, that's what she says. And what we see here, what we see here is this couple is entering into conflict. And, and when we look at this here in Song of Solomon chapter 5, we can see three roots of conflict that they're dealing with, and they're the same roots of conflict that plague us in our relationships as well. If you're taking notes, here's number one. You can write this down. The first root of conflict is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. Now, all of us, when we get married or we enter into relationships, we have expectations that we think the other person is going to fulfill. When Chris and I first got married, you know, we had known each other for a very long time. We probably had a leg up on most couples because we'd known each other for seven and a half years. But nonetheless, when we finally uh, got married and we moved into the same house, there were just things that we didn't know and, and expectations. One of the expectations that Chris had, uh, she couldn't find a job in her career field when we were first married, and so she was just a stay-at-home wife. And she was home all day long, and I, I, you know, every day I'd come home and she'd say, did you notice that I vacuumed today? And I'm like, didn't you vacuum yesterday? You know, I... I I was, you know, when I was single, I vacuumed once a month if the dog hair was getting deep, you know. And, but she was just this incredible Donna Reed kind of wife every day. And, and one of the things that she felt was her duty as a wife, especially because she wasn't working, it was her duty to do the laundry. And, uh, and that was one thing that, that my entire life, I have done my own laundry since I was a kid, and I like my clothes, and my clothes just have to be just so. You should see my drawers. They're just organized and neat, and everything's just so. And, and I said to Chris, I think it was the first week that we were married, I said, I will do my own laundry. You do your laundry. I will do my laundry. And <laughs> you're applauding, but do you, do you know what happened? That hurt Chris's feelings, because she interpreted that mean that I didn't trust her to do my laundry. And... She was right. I didn't trust her to do my laundry. <laughs> and so we had conflict because of these unmet expectations that we just couldn't quite work around. Uh, everybody has them. Chris and I have been working with a young couple here at Connect, and, and they moved here to, to Bozeman a while ago, and, and they came here because uh, the young man was going to school, and she... Uh, they'd been married several years. They were ready to have a family. So the agreement that they had, they'd been married a while, but the agreement they had was he was going to go to school full-time. He was also going to work to support the family. They were going to start having children. She was going to be a stay-at-home mom. And all of a sudden, there was all of this conflict going on in their, in their marriage because the expectation was unrealistic for them. They had communicated through everything, but... They couldn't do what they were trying to do, and so everything began to unravel 
because the expectations were overwhelmed. And all of us deal with conflict like this. Sometimes the expectations are non-verbalized. Uh, some of you moms, you, you might have married this wonderful man that's loving and affectionate, but, but you had a baby and all of a sudden he's not really interested because, you know, uh, this is the way a lot of guys are. You, you look at a newborn and it just lays there. It doesn't do anything. So we don't know what to do with him, you know. And moms are all like, oh, isn't he cute? And dressing and primping, you know. And the guys are like, eh. Call me when she's three months, you know, and, um, and moms get all worked up because the dads aren't as loving as they expected them to be. It's an expectation that might not have been communicated, but sometimes we communicate, but we can't fulfill our obligations and it leads to conflict. And so we need to develop resolution skills to be able to deal with it. That's number one, unmet expectations. Here's number two, and we see this in the Song of Solomon. Number two is selfishness. This is a huge root of conflict. Selfishness. Did you see what this wife said when her husband came home and he wants to come in and she's gone to bed and he's feeling all loving and she says, not on your life. She's a little bit ticked. He didn't come home when he was supposed to come home. There is no way he's getting any loving tonight. What's she doing? She's acting selfishly. And it becomes the source of conflict. As we continue to read, we're going to see this conflict progress. Now, we're all wired to be selfish, aren't we? Aren't we just wired to take care of ourselves? Uh, for me, one of, the, one of the things that my selfishness is revealed in is when it comes to food. You guys know I love to eat. And I love to cook. And when Chris and I, especially if we're having people over to the house, I'm grilling or whatever, and when the food is done, when it's hot, I want it on the table, we're going to eat while it's hot, nothing can cool off, you know? So this will happen to us all the time, because as soon as the food comes off the grill, we're ready to eat, and she's over socializing with the guest, you know, and blah, 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 and, you know, and I'm like, it's all about the food, and she's like, it's all about the fellowship, and, and we get into conflict, you know, and... And you know what? She's right. It is all about relationships. And I'm like, the food is hot and I'm hungry. We're going to eat now. And I don't care about your salad not being tossed. We're going to eat now. Selfishness can really become a root of conflict. It's a difficult thing. And then here's number three. Here's number three. Pride. Pride. We end up getting into big arguments and big fights when our pride has been hurt and we start reacting to that pride. Now, uh, pride is one of those deceitful things because most of us have a very difficult time identifying it in ourselves. Let me give you a really clear indication that you are struggling with pride. If you're sitting here this morning and you're listening to me talk and you're saying, I really hope my spouse is taking notes today. <laughs> that's going through your mind, you've got a pride problem. Because this is stuff all of us need to work on and we all need to grow. Let's look at how this husband acts pridefully and progresses the conflict here in chapter 5. It says this, uh, this is the wife speaking again. She says, my lover tried to unlatch the door and my heart thrilled within me. Now at first, she was saying, not tonight, honey, I've got a headache. And now she's kind of changed her tune because he really wants to come into her. Verse 5, 
I jumped up to open the door for my love, and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. And then it says, I opened to my lover, but he was gone. And my heart sank. I searched for him, but I couldn't find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. What happened? She got mad because he didn't come home early enough. And so she rejected him, and then his pride got hurt. So what did he do? He stomped off mad, disappeared. All right? That happens so often to us, doesn't it? When our pride gets hurt, and so we react out of anger and out of hurt pride. Now, uh, there's nothing I don't think more, more difficult or more painful than the pain of rejection. And I know that many of you in this room today, you've gone through the most horrific pain of, of a, a spouse leaving you, divorcing you. And although I have never personally experienced that, I've never walked through the pain of divorce myself, I've got so many people I'm close to that I've walked with through that process that I understand how deeply painful that is. And, and I'm sure you can relate when, when she said in verse 6, he was gone and my heart sank. That, that rejection is so deep and so pr- profound. But this is what I want to say to you today. If you've experienced that deep, deep rejection, I want you to know today that I absolutely believe that there is no, there is no conflict in a marriage or even in a dating relationship. There is no conflict too deep for Jesus to heal if two people are committed to walking with Jesus and working it out. Let me say that again. There is no conflict that is too deep for two people who are committed to Jesus and committed to living by biblical principles. There's nothing too deep for you to work out if both people will work at it together. Now, it might be impossible for one person to heal a relationship if there's just one person working at it, but two people, when you're committed to Jesus, can work it out. And I want to share with you today some simple principles. And and these almost sound shallow, but I I want to tell you as simple as these things are, they can transform your relationship if you will put them into action. And and so I, I want you to listen very carefully and put these into action. Let me share with you today three promises from the Bible that will help you through conflict. Three promises to help you through conflict. And... And, you know, when, when we got married, most of us, if, if, if you got married from a, from a minister or a pastor, you stood in front of that pastor and you said, I do, and you said, I will. I will promise this, I will promise that. Here's some promises that I want you to make to your spouse today if you're married. And, and here's number one. I want you to read it out loud. Whether you're married or not, read this out loud. I promise act and not react. I promise to act and not react. Here's what Romans 12, 21 says. It says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Okay? Would you read that out loud with me? Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. All right, now Chris and I, Chris works full-time at the hospital. I'm a full-time pastor. I'm with people most of the time, most every day. We don't have a lot of time to fight during the day. So when we fight, it's always at night. All right? It just works out that way. 
and, uh, and here's how it goes. One of us gets our feelings hurt, and so we go to bed, and we lay facing the wall. And then the other person comes in, and they get into bed, and they face the other wall. Okay, This is the back-to-back fight, and if you've been married for any length of time, you've had the back-to-back fight too, right? It, it's true. And, and here's the deal with the back-to-back fight. We all know the rules, but we've never been taught the rules. They're just inbred. And one of the rules is, when you're doing the back-to-back fight, the person who touches the other one loses the fight, right? And so there's no way I'm going to touch her. There's no way. And, you know, and while you're laying there in silence, you know, if, if a toe wanders over and touches, you jerk back and it's, you're not getting any toe tonight. There's no way that's happening, you know? And, and it's, you know, that's, that's the back. And the other rule to the back-to-back fight is whoever talks first loses, okay? So you can't touch and you can't talk and it just goes on. And, and so this is how I usually do it. We end up in the back-to-back fight, and we're facing different directions, and, and it's getting late, and I'm tired, and so I start harumphing to let her know that I'm, I'm not going to talk, but I'm still awake. So, <clears throat> you know. And then finally, I'm not going to touch, and I'm not going to talk, but I finally roll over, and I just lay there with my eyes open looking at her. You know. <laughs> The Bible says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And so when we get into those situations, what's doing good? Doing good is being the first one to talk. Being good and conquering the evil is being the first one who will say, I'm so sorry that I hurt you. Conquering evil by doing good is being the first one to reach out with a tender touch and just hold hands or give a hug and say, listen, let's, let's, let's talk this out. The back-to-back fight that goes on and on and on eventually becomes destructive, doesn't it? And we've got to learn to act and not to react. I promise to act and not react. Here's number two. Would you read this out loud with me? I promise to focus on the good and not the bad. I promise to focus on the good and not the bad. Here's what Philippians 4.8 says. Uh, and, and again, would you read this out loud with me? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. When Chris finally got a job after we were first married, she went to work in a, in a laboratory in a hospital that was staffed all by women, and they would all go to lunch together. And after about the first week of this job, she would come home and she would say, all of these women just talk trash about their husbands all the time. It was driving her crazy. And she would say, well, my husband gets up with me at 5.30 in the morning and he makes me coffee before I go to work. And they would say, oh, you're a newlywed. That won't ever last. (laughs) And Chris made up her mind in those early months of our marriage that when she was with her girlfriends, she would never say or even think anything negative about me. Do you know how that has built health into our marriage? Because I know that my wife upholds my honor and my reputation in front of everybody. And she has put that verse into practice. She tells me. She doesn't just think about the good and not the bad. She tells me all the time what she loves about me and what she admires about me. She builds me up. 
and focusing on the good instead of focusing on the bad builds health and it helps us through conflict. Here's number three. Say this out loud with me. Number three. I promise to talk and not walk. I promise to talk and not walk. Now here's a powerful, powerful verse. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. I know lots of you know this. It says this. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So important that when we get into conflict with our spouse, or with any other person for that matter, if you're single, you're not married yet, this is true of your other relationships, work relationships, family relationships, whatever. Resolve it before you go to bed at night. Chris and I have been committed to this principle from the early days of our marriage. And, and I remember one night, we were up in the middle of the night having some argument. I don't remember what it was about, but I remember uh, I got so angry that I just couldn't take it anymore, and I walked out of the house and slammed the door, and I just walked around the block. I didn't go far, but uh, I just went for a walk. And, and in, my, in my mind, I was thinking, I have to cool off before I say something stupid. But I just, I just left without saying anything. Ten minutes later, I came back in the door, and I found my wife just in a puddle, just broken. And that action of rejection, of walking out on her, was so destructive and so hurtful to her. And she cried and cried and cried, and I made a promise to her that night, I will never, ever, ever walk out on you again. We will stay, and we will talk it out until the problem is resolved. I will talk and I will not walk. And that has been something that has served us well all these years. Uh, we tell couples all the time who are, who are walking through conflict that's difficult, if you feel like you need to blow off some steam, if you just can't stay anymore, here's, here's a little rule of thumb for you if you're in a relationship. Here's the rule of thumb. If you need to leave, tell your partner that you, that you love them, tell them where you're going, and when you'll be back and then you can go. And also remind them that we will resolve this when I get back. Okay? Did you get that? You might need to write this down. Tell them you love them. Tell them where you're going, when you'll be back, and promise to work it out when you get back. None of this is walking out and rejecting and, and doing who knows, who knows what. These are three principles that will serve you well. If you've still got your Bibles open, uh, turn to Song of Solomon chapter 6. Uh, we want to skip ahead in this story, and, and I just want you to see this. Uh, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the seasons that couples go through, and, and, and I, you know, all couples fight. That's one of the seasons we go through is arguing and, and conflict. But look at what happens in Song of Solomon 6, starting at verse 11. This is the husband now. He says, I went down to the grove of walnut trees and out to the valley to see the new spring growth to see whether the grapevines had budded and the pomegranates were in bloom. And before I realized it, I found myself in the royal chariot with my beloved. And here's, here's what this means. And you can write this down in your notes. They had gone through another winter season and they were now enjoying spring again. And here's the promise for you if you're in a relationship. You will have seasons in your marriage when things are hard. 
That's a guarantee. No matter where you're at in a relationship, you will have seasons. And it may feel like winter when everything is dead. But if you will put these promises into practice in your life, I guarantee you, if you're following Jesus and walking with Him, you will get through the winter and you will come into springtime again when everything is blooming and you're walking again into that garden of love. And I think that's a powerful promise from God's Word that two people can work it out when we're committed to practicing God's principles. Can you say amen to that? I think that's really true. Let me wrap it up by, by asking you the question that I've been asking you every week this, this message series. What are your next steps? I realize that we're all in different seasons of life. We've got lots of married people. We've got lots of single people. Uh, one of the things I love about Connect Church is we've got such a diverse age group. And, and so we're all in different seasons, but there's something today that you can put into practice in your life. What is it? Would you jot yourself a note on your note cards before you put that away? And make a commitment today that you are going to make some changes when it comes to conflict. And, uh, and follow the, the guidelines of Scripture into building health into your marriage. I just want to see us uh, enjoy more and more years together as married couples. I, I would love for Connect Church to become a model in our community of what healthy marriages look like. And I believe that we can do that when we're walking with Jesus and following him. And so let's make a commitment to do it. Say amen one more time. Amen, amen means so be it. God, will you put these principles into our lives? Will you deeply, deeply, Jesus, begin to uh, move on us to practice these promises that we've all said out loud today? Jesus, help us to learn to act and not to react. Help us to focus, Lord, on the good things of every relationship that we're in and not on the bad. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to talk things out instead of walking away and rejecting one another. And Lord, give us wisdom to discern those roots of conflict, the root of pride and of selfishness and of unmet expectations, Lord, so that we can deal with those things effectively. And Lord, for every single person in this room, I pray that you will help them to begin developing healthy relationships and healthy conflict resolution today for every married person in this room jesus bring us closer together help us to love one another sacrificially and we ask lord that you will bless our relationships with longevity and permanence in jesus name